1: My new client was a convicted serial killer that raped, tortured, and murdered at least three women in our area.
2: We realized there was blood on the couch and thin blood streaks on the wall and blood all over her.
3: Multiple arrests for talking his way into homes, no forced entry where a woman was alone.
4: Listener discretion advised. You're just moments away from true tales of terror that will leave you breathless. From Disturbed Media, I'm your host Chad, and this is Disturbed. Welcome back in everyone, and thanks for joining me. And if you haven't had a chance yet, make sure you go check out our new merch designs in the store. We have several new creepy designs that you can get in many different items, t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, mugs, and much more. So go grab your Disturbed swag today at disturbedpodcast.com shop. And with that, let's get to the spooky stuff. Our first experience comes to us from Reddit user LHunter2. She has a new client, and you won't believe what he's done. Performing this experience is Tanya E.B.
1: So, I have to keep this very general, but have to share. Long post and first-time poster, so please be kind. Also, please keep in mind that I was 22 years old and not even out of grad school when all of this went down. I'm a therapist, and while I was in grad school... I began an internship that provided group and individual counseling to a halfway house. This halfway house was run by a church and their well-meaning congregation, but was a bit of a mess. After several months of working with them, I got a phone call from the house parent that said none of the residents were willing to attend group sessions if their new housemate would be involved. The house parent made some comments about typical house drama, so I wasn't too worried about it, and just told them to go ahead and bring the residents to the clinic and I would work with a new housemate privately to figure out what was going on. I met with a new housemate first, and they seemed a bit reserved and untrusting, but nice. When I asked about issues in the house, they gave a small curved smile and raspy chuckle/slash scoff. I pushed them a bit further, but all they would say was that the others were scared. We ended our session agreeing to meet weekly. I had the group session next, new housemate not included to get a feel with what was going on from the others. When I walked in, I could tell there was something seriously wrong. Their faces looked terrified, their general appearances were disheveled, and they were all looking anxiously around at each other. I asked what was going on and no one answered. They asked me what I thought of the new housemate and I redirected back to them. The anxious eye contact continued. I asked again and reminded them that change and growth couldn't occur without honesty. Finally, one of them started talking. Here is the story from that perspective. We were told that we were getting a new housemate that we weren't supposed to have much interaction with and that they wouldn't be there long. No one would give us any info about why the new housemate would be getting the only private bedroom or why they wouldn't be participating in classes or group activities. They just told us to leave them be. This went on for two weeks. Then they started letting the new housemate hang out and participate in things. They would make some strange comments that would make us uncomfortable but we would just ignore them. They wouldn't sleep. They would always leave their bedroom after they thought everyone was asleep, go into our rooms, and check to see if we were actually asleep by holding their finger under our nose. Then, they would leave and walk through the backwoods. They would always be back in the morning, and we would tell the house parent, but would be told to be quiet and not talk about this with anyone. One night after dinner, we turned on the ID channel and new housemate was watching with us. A few minutes into the episode, They got up and walked into the woods, usually did this super late at night. A few minutes later, we heard it, their name in the episode. We couldn't be sure, so we went to the computer and checked and saw that they had tortured and murdered several women. There's more details to the story that I can't share, but needless to say, my new client was a convicted serial killer that raped, tortured, and murdered at least three women in our area. This person was being let out on a technicality that affected several of the murders they were charged with, so got released early on the condition that they lived under supervision. This particular halfway house was being paid to hold this person until a more appropriate structure was in place. After I had done my own research and confirmed, I went to my supervisor and professor and the contract with that particular church and halfway house was terminated. Icing on the cake. The next year of my life was absolute hell as I was stalked, my home invaded, my dogs injured, my house and car vandalized, and survival items that didn't belong to me were found in my attic that made it look like someone had been living there. I would come home and the house would look different than the way I left it. The police came to my house over a dozen times through that year and did nothing. So my family hired a security team and installed cameras. Six months later, A perpetrator was arrested on my property, and eyewitnesses and evidence linked him to the crimes. Perpetrator had been out of prison for just over a year on rape and kidnapping charges. Guess who was from the same small hometown as the man arrested? My client. Here are some answers to a lot of the questions. This incident was over 10 years ago, and Stalker is still in jail. I had just bought the house the week prior to all of this starting, so couldn't move somewhere else. No money. Several friends offered to let me stay with them, but police and psychiatrists believed that the stalker would follow me because he was already fixated on me. I have no idea if that's how it works, but I listened then. My brother, dad, and several friends rotated staying with me for several weeks. There was no evidence of a connection between the stalker and serial killer, but my brain sometimes begs me not to believe that. I lived in that house alone for another three years, then got married and lived there for two years with my husband, I never felt at rest in that home, obviously. We are in a new home now, and with the help of lots of dogs, cameras, home security, and a great therapist, I'm doing great. Though I have severe night terrors from PTSD. The reason I was told that they weren't stopping serial killer from walking was because they were about to be transferred and the house didn't want any big scenes or drama when the person was going to leave. Whatever. In terms of who this person is... I left out slash changed up a bit two major details that would be easily Googled to find out who they are. Happy hunting.
4: If you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads, get additional bonus episodes and your own shout out, visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. Next up, we hear from an anonymous Reddit user and discover why it's questionable to open your door late at night. Performing this experience is Mariana Bradford.
0: I still think about this encounter as an adult. When I was about 10, I'm 25 now, I was downstairs watching TV late at night with my mom and sisters. Everyone decided to head off to bed and I was left alone downstairs. I started drifting off, and all of a sudden, someone started banging on the door. Hard. I'm talking, let me the fuck in hard. I was so scared I just sat there frozen, staring at the door like my life depended on it. My dog was laying right next to me and also just stared. He never barked or moved an inch, which was weird because he always barked at the door. The banging never stopped for what seemed like a solid five minutes, but in reality, was probably only a minute. I looked at my dog, and I think because I finally moved, my dog snapped out of his trance, looked at me for a split second, and jumped up and ran towards the door. He still didn't bark, but instead started turning his head like he was confused. I finally got the courage to get up and open the blinds to see what was going on. And this young woman maybe around 20 25 was standing there holding her left breast in her hand it was still attached to her but she had pretty large breasts and she was holding it trying to keep them from sagging i'm guessing she had blonde hair white skin and was covered in blood her shirt was ripped and her hair was a mess i remember thinking she may have gotten beat up or was in a car crash Either way, I immediately went to go open the door. As soon as I went to unlock it, my mom, out of nowhere, slammed her hand on the door and relocked it. I had no idea she had even come down the stairs, let alone walked up behind me. I was so focused on the door and on this woman, that when she slammed her hand it was almost as if it knocked me back into reality. Reality of not opening a door for strangers in the middle of the night. I looked up at her and I could feel my eyes were wide, and I think I even started crying. She put her hand on my shoulder and moved me away from the door. She yelled, who is it, through the door, and the girl yelled back that her boyfriend had beat her up and they lived in the apartments across the street from us. Mind you, we lived in townhouses in a cul-de-sac. Our unit was all the way in the back where you would start the turn. We were the first unit in the row, but where she pointed out that her and her boyfriend's place was at was quite a ways away from us. You'll see how I know that in a minute. My mom asked her her name, and she said something that sounded like something any. Maybe Bethany or Stephanie or something like that. I saw my mom hesitate to open the door, but after she yelled, please help me, my mom opened the door, stepped out, and pulled it close to shut, but not completely shut. I cracked the door open behind her to make sure she was okay and also see what was going on. The woman we'll call Bethany kept thanking my mom and asking to come in because she was scared her boyfriend was going to come after her. My mom refused and explained that she couldn't let her in because of the safety of her four kids but said she would sit out there with her. My mom yelled at me to grab the phone and call the police so I did. My mom started asking her what happened and what specific unit she lived in. She pointed towards her specific one and told my mom the building number and her unit, B. The silver SUV pulled up a little later and she ran towards it yelling, that's my sister, and then just jumped in. The car sped off without another word from her or a single word from the sister. My mom looked back at me confused and came back inside and shut and locked the door. We just stood there and looked at each other. I asked my mom what about the police and she said she would wait for them downstairs if I wanted to go to bed. I was too scared to leave her, so I waited with her. Once they arrived, my mom explained what happened and the officer said that she did the right thing not letting her inside. Weird thing is, my dog never barked once until the cops knocked on the door. They also explained that they've been receiving similar calls like that in the area recently. Even worse, the next morning, we all packed up to go to the grocery store. And as we passed that building, you could tell the apartment was empty. Like no one had been living in it. Maybe they just didn't have any furniture or anything, but it was still weird. He never came after her that night and we never saw her or the SUV again. Bethany or Stephanie, I hope you're okay if this was real. But also if it's not, don't ever knock on my door again.
4: Up next, we hear from Reddit user Lala, and we learn why having a dog for protection can be a good idea. Performing this experience is Nicole Doolin.
3: While I've had a few close calls, as many women do, this one still haunts me as I am usually hyper-vigilant. But I came up against a pro. This happened about 12 years ago. We were living in a rental house in a quaint village in Southern California. While it was in a residential neighborhood, it was a few blocks away from the downtown village area. The area was filled with shops, restaurants, and bars, along with an active trolley station not far from a state college. Old Hollywood. There was always activity going on as our street was a cut-through to the action. People coming and going, especially college kids. Even ringing our doorbell was not unusual. I was in the habit of jogging at night, but only with my German Shepherd Rottweiler named Bear. He was an intimidating-looking dog, although well-trained. A former police dog in rescue... He had settled in well to domestic life. He was very friendly unless you either gave him a reason not to be or he sensed something about you that was off. He could not stand my ex-husband, for example, but he loved my current husband, so he was an amazing judge of character. His instincts were always dead on. Any attention I got after sundown jogging was almost always discouraged once they saw a bear and wisely so one night as I ran past the trolley station a young goofy guy sporting a beanie and a lope and who obviously never ran further than up to his weed dealer tried to keep up with us while we ran he kept asking where I lived and if he could come over and give me a kiss it was a bit comical so I firmly yelled for him to back off and Bear dissuaded him by a short showing of teeth and a growl as we ran Enough said. We never even broke stride. When I got home, I told my husband. He scowled and suggested I check out the sex offender website and see if the guy was on there. The loping wannabe lover was not there. But I recognized someone I did have an experience with. I genuinely felt a chill run across the hair on my arms and up the back of my neck. It was the ficus plant guy who had stopped by the house a few days before. Ficus Plant Guy was an older Hispanic man, tall and thin, dressed in a filthy gray work jumper with the name tag torn off, gray-white beard to match his jumper, and gray, greasy, unkempt, longish hair. Wizened with leather skin and a hound dog expression, every deep wrinkle on his face, of which there were many, bore testament to an unpleasant life entrenched in misery. This was December of that year, drizzling early morning and my husband had just left for work. Our house was set back slightly but still visible from the street. There was an unlocked gate across the driveway about ten feet from the back kitchen door. The kitchen door had a large glass pane and next to it was a large kitchen window that ran nearly the length of the wall. It was bright and airy. I could clearly see out to the street and any passerby could see into our kitchen especially past the gate. I was in the living room out of sight, having just poured my first cup of hot coffee. Bear was curled up in his bed by the fireplace in full view of the kitchen window and door. Think Norman Rockwell. I heard a rattle of the kitchen door. I assumed my husband had come back, but wasn't able to get in for some reason. So I wasn't alarmed, at first. But Bear seemed to be. I wondered why my husband didn't use his key. I realized that whoever was at the kitchen door chose to avoid the front door with a bell and had let themselves into and past the closed gate. Having done so, they could easily access the backyard and the open French doors where I was sitting. Who would do that? So I quickly got up to investigate. As I made my way to the door, I was surprised to see ficus plant guy, F.P.G., who cut a sorrowful yet imposing figure pressed against our door, peering in through cupped hands. Bear had sprung to his feet at this point and ran into the kitchen, getting to the door before I got there. He was barking and growling menacingly. Incredulously, I spoke through the glass to FPG, now feeling my spidey senses kick in because Bear would not back down. So I chose not to open the door at first. Instead, I asked FPG through the glass a haughty, ''Can I help you?'' Manifesting Eeyore, he asked if we had a ficus plant in our backyard. Thrown off at the time, I didn't even know what a ficus plant looked like. I told him, ''No, uh, I don't think so.'' There were no plants back there that weren't in the ground, and it was all very typical SoCal flora or palm trees. I was a little put off by the temerity of someone coming into our yard, past our gate, and jiggling our kitchen door as he did, and initially, my demeanor was more terse and guarded. And try as I may, I could not get Bear to stop bark growling, which was irritating me. But I returned Bear's unusual display of disobedience with annoyance and commands to be quiet, instead of paying attention to what it really meant, my bad FPG was unaffected by my vicious beast or my tone FPG persisted his pursuit of the ficus plant was as determined as it was touching the plant it seemed belonged to his dying mother who he claimed had lived in this house once she had left it behind but it meant a lot to her and he was hoping he could retrieve it for her I told him again there was no ficus plant in the backyard that I was aware of Is it potted or hanging? He didn't know. Is it a mature plant? He couldn't say. Does it flower? He was losing patience. He just wanted me to either let him in or give him permission to explore the back. Eventually, I began to feel sorry for FPG as he cut a sorrowful figure, and I didn't want to appear callous or prejudiced because of his ethnicity or disheveled state. So I went to open the door. In a fury never seen before nor again, my black and tan 90-pound dog threw himself at the doorknob, knocking my hand away and me off balance. Bear! I shouted. Down! Be quiet! He would have none of it. Ignoring me, he barked like he was a German POW guard dog spotting runners at the wall. Showing teeth and snarling, I once again moved Bear aside and told him to go to his place. Indignant and growling, he slowly edged toward his bed, backward, never taking his eyes off FPG. I apologized and tried to get more information from him, sincerely wanting to help this sad specimen of humanity before me, but it was hard to hear him through the glass, so once again I went to open the door. He had pulled the screen door open. He no longer seemed a threat to me, more an object of pity. As I went to unlock the door and grasp the handle again, from behind me came a rolling, running, menacing ball of canine fury and hate, charging like a hound from hell toward fresh meat. Mongrel bark shot out in a cacophony of rapid succession. With snarling, snorting teeth, Bear knocked my hand away and me to the floor. He threw himself against the glass, barking and snapping at FPG through it, sure to tear him to shreds but for the few inches of tempered glass between them. I was shocked, furious, and apologetic all at once. FPG was unfazed, completely ignoring the beast before him. I was as much unnerved by FPG's reaction as I was by Bear's focused fury. I thought, maybe I shouldn't open the door. You think? Once I got Bear to a low roar, I suggested that FPG give me his name and phone number, and I would ask my landlord if such a plant had ever existed. If so, I would call him and make arrangements for him to pick it up. While my hellhound did not dissuade him, my request for his name and number did. No, no, nope, he muttered, shaking his head as he made his way down the steps and out the gate. It's okay, I don't mind, I responded. He said something in Spanish as he limped with a getty up across the lawn and down the street to his vehicle. A van, a blue roughly hand-painted with a kitchen broom van, van an old U-Haul with a blacked-out passenger window. Then and only then did Bear stop his tirade and jauntily jotted back to his bed, tail up, with an air of mission accomplished about him. What the hell just happened? I muttered to myself. Oh well. Damn, my coffee was cold. So imagine my surprise when a week later, when looking for a loping wannabe lover on the sex offender website, I happen across FPG. He had an unmistakable, unforgettable face and demeanor. And we had done the back and forth dance for about 15 minutes, so I got a good look. He was a convicted sex offender. A sexual predator, in fact. Multiple arrests for talking his way into homes no forced entry where a woman was alone tying them up and raping them brutalizing them repeatedly with foreign objects sodomizing them torturing them in various ways for hours as of that moment the police had no idea where he was but his last known location was the village where I lived but for my sweet, loyal, fearless and fearsome Very, very good German Shepherd Roddy Beardog. I would have gotten to know FPG much, much better that day. I'm guessing there was no ficus plant. And no, let's not meet. Ever.
4: I know you guys love your true experiences, so I've got another podcast I know you're gonna love The Secret Room with Ben Ham. Every episode, Ben has a new guest who finally lets out their big secret. I've been working my way through the catalog of episodes, and it's quickly become one of my favorites. Take a listen.
5: What's the one thing you've never told anyone? People just like you tell all in a podcast called The Secret Room. If you're a true story fan, and you cannot get enough of people's most intimate dreams, desires, and shame, you will love The Secret Room. Like Mila's deathbed confession that her daughter's absent father is a movie star. I wish I could tell someone who the father is while I'm still on earth. Or Jen's secret love affair with a man on death row. It's turned my world
4: upside down and something he just did has devastated me.
5: Or the way that Joey falls in love with inanimate objects.
1: I know people who were in relationships with construction equipment.
5: People all around you carry the most amazing secrets. You're invited to The Secret Room for a front row seat to spectacular stories that will touch you, jar you, and amaze you. I'm Ben Ham, your host. Search for The Secret Room, a podcast about the stories no one ever tells.
4: It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen
6: wherever you get podcasts. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a -a three-times-a-week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested. Through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to StoicismPod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.
4: And finally, our title story coming to us from Reddit user Itchy Fiddly Digits and we learn what it's like to be face-to-face with a murderer. Performing this experience is Matt Bradford.
2: This happened to me and my wife a few months after we moved into a new place. This took place back in November of 2018 and actually wasn't even fully resolved until just recently. So... Back at this point in time, me and my wife were going through some hard times. I was making money through some slightly illegal means and had actually gone to jail for 9 months. I got out in September of 2018 and had a job in the city waiting for me when I got home. Now, when I got out of jail, my wife was living with her mom about an hour away from the city, but she knew we had to find somewhere to live close to both of our jobs that were downtown in the city we were moving to. Since we were starting all over after the legal fees, lawyers, fines, and other assorted debts, we knew we could only afford something super cheap that would let us pay week to week instead of having to pay security deposits and monthly rent up front. There were four rooms in the house with a shared kitchen and a bathroom for everyone. We moved into one of the rooms. Our neighbors on the first floor was a 30-year-old Asian lady and her mom, and then upstairs there was a young black guy who moved in the same week as us and also a young couple that lived in the room next to the young black guy. In the three months we lived there, the only people we talked to was the young couple upstairs. They seemed similar to us in age and interests, and we usually just talked to them in passing, or on the front porch when we were all out there having a cigarette. They were nice enough, and they also smoked weed, which me and my wife did as well, and we smoked on the porch together a couple of times. Things were just a okay until the month of November came and shit just started to hit the fan left and right with this couple who we'll name Jim and Sierra. It started off small. Things like hearing them get into short shouting matches or one or both of them asking me and my wife to borrow money or constantly trying to bum cigarettes. And one day I came home and Sierra was walking into the house the same time as me with three guys I've never seen before and a case of beer. They partied all night and kept me and my wife up, but we ended up going to bed around 5 a.m., And then a few days later we were woken up on a Sunday, me and my wife's only day off, to Jim screaming at Sierra and throwing all her stuff on the front yard. He was calling her a whore and a slut and told her to get out of his life, yada yada yada. They argued for like three hours, and eventually someone picked Sierra up. We had a week of peace and quiet, but by the next week she was moved back in and the fights and screaming were constant. Until one night, it was a Tuesday night, the day just before my birthday. Me and my wife worked that day and I just kind of lounged around after work. My wife and I ended up smoking some weed around 1am and put in a movie to giggle at all night. The whole time we were watching this movie, we could hear Jim and Sierra screaming at each other. We could hear the stomp of their feet as they moved around upstairs in the room right above our ceiling. It went on the whole movie it seemed like, after actually making it through the movie without falling asleep from smoking too much. We both noticed that Jim and Sierra had finally stopped fighting. We both wanted to take advantage of the quiet and laid down to cuddle up to sleep until we had to go to work in the morning. I was woken up in the middle of the night by my wife, who was shaking me and looking off toward my side of the bed. I was so tired and out of it, I thought maybe she saw a bug and wanted me to kill it. I turn over to get up, and when I do, there is a man standing next to my bed hunched over my nightstand going through the drawer, and the man has an empty milk gallon in his hand. After rolling over and locking eyes, he stood up from his hunched position and was just staring at me. I kicked my feet out onto the floor and sat up in the bed as he started backing up slowly one step at a time. At this point I finally realized that it's Jim, in our room, going through my stuff holding an empty milk gallon. Now, like I said, I, I was still pretty out of it and just calmly said to him, What's up, Jim? What the hell are you doing in a room, bud? After a few seconds, Jim asks, Can I borrow your guys' car, man? Or can one of you take me down to the gas station and then back real quick? Thank goodness for my wife, who was finally fully awake, unlike me, and said, What? You broke into a room to borrow our car. Oh, no, you can't borrow our car after you broke into our room at 4am. Now, get the fuck out of here, you fucking weirdo. Jim leaves, but he doesn't just leave. He sprints out of the front door and starts running down the street towards the gas station he wanted to go to. I look at my wife, and before we can even say anything to each other, our other neighbor from upstairs comes down and says that Jim and Sierra were fighting worse than he ever heard or saw, and that he hadn't heard any noise coming from the room for about an hour. My wife, who was feeling protective of a fellow female who had to endure this abuse, told me and our neighbor to go upstairs and check on her. So, we go up the stairs and the door to Jim and Sierra's room is shut. I knocked and shouted for someone and there was no answer. Standing side by side, me and my neighbor turned the doorknob and pushed the door open. On the back wall of the room, Sierra was laying on the couch, face up, and we also noticed that the floor and ceiling had been hacked up like someone was trying to get inside of the floor and ceiling for some reason. Me and my neighbor walked over to the couch, thinking that Jim had just knocked her unconscious. But when we made it to her, we realized there was blood on the couch, and thin blood streaks on the wall and blood all over her. I can't speak for my neighbor, but as I looked at her, I thought, she doesn't have a face. The neighbor called the cops immediately, and I was just standing there dumbfounded. I heard him tell the police that Jim had smashed his girlfriend's face in with a sledgehammer, and the weapon was still there, but Jim had run off. The police told us to leave the room and wait outside if we felt safe doing so. The cops came and put an APB out on Jim, and they found him an hour later running down the street. After talking to the cops, they said it looked like Jim was trying to find the gas line in the house and he probably wanted to go to the gas station to get fuel to help him burn the house down with Sierra inside. After all the cops left and everything calmed down, me and my wife looked at each other like, what the fuck? And We had to call into work the next day because there were two news vans out front all morning, and every time we stepped out for a smoke, they were badgering us for an interview. It ended up being a small blip in the news with a short paragraph in the newspaper and a one-minute segment on the local news channel. But yeah, that was how I was face-to-face with a murderer right after he killed his girlfriend in the same house we were in with him. Obviously, everyone in the house was asked by the prosecutor to come testify in court. By the time they asked me to come to court, it was two years later, and at that point in time, I was actually locked up for a probation violation. Keep in mind, I'm in the same county jail that Jim is in while he's going to court. I had gone on vacation while on probation across the country, and they found out about it so they gave me 60 days to do in county jail, and then I would be done with probation. It just so happened that those 60 days were during the trial for Jim. The prosecutor let my wife bring nice clothes up to the jail because it wouldn't look good for a criminal in jail stripes to take the stand and testify against this guy, and the prosecutor thought I was well-spoken enough that the jury wouldn't know any better. Now, The way this particular county does court is they basically round up everyone in the jail that has court that day and take them all to a giant holding cell in the basement of the courthouse and take you upstairs as your case comes up. I told the officers taking me to the holding cell that I was a witness in a murder case and didn't want to be put in the same room as the guy I had to testify against. They said it won't happen and took me to the holding cell. I started thinking, well, they probably have the same murder type cases in a different cell but when they called my name to go to court, I started walking to the entrance of the cell, and from behind, I hear someone say my name and tap my shoulder. I turn around, and of course, it's Jim, four feet away from me, face to face. All he said after I turned around was, good luck today, and all I could do was reply, you too, and get the hell out of there. After that, they put a special command in the system to keep us separated.
4: Thanks to everyone for continuing to send in your stories, whether it's via email at mystory@disturbedpodcast.com or the hotline at 701 354 And if you're outside the U.S. and want to leave a voicemail, you can do that right on our website, disturbedpodcast.com. Just click the blue button on the right of the homepage. Remember, no story is too big or too small, so keep sending them in. Disturbed is an independent production, funded through advertising and listener support. Thanks to those who share the show with friends and leave positive reviews, these things help new listeners find us. Follow or subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you never miss an episode. And if you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads, you can get early access to our premium ad-free feed, as well as monthly bonus episodes. Visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. And a shout-out to all of our newest supporters. Kim Ralston, Justin Beers, Brittany Giddings, Gemma Houting, Ashik Fernandez, Melissa Bjork, Melissa Herzog, and Cassandra Ranger. Thanks so much for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at and AG. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.